Will you turn your Bibles, please, to Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter 3. Revelation, the third chapter. And I know you'll remember in prayer, Brother and Mrs. Jim Yates, in their new work in Florida. They arrived there this week, and this is their first Sunday there. I know you'll pray for them. We miss them a great deal. Appreciate all those who have sung tonight in choir. God bless you. And let's pray for the hand of God upon our church. We're speaking tonight a continued message on the seven churches of Revelation and how our church fits into that and how each of us individually fits into that. May we pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for what has, we've experienced. We're so grateful for all the good music and these musicians who have played so triumphantly. And we do look forward to the time when we see Jesus. That will be glory. Lord, help us to wait until then and to be patient unto the coming of the Lord. We pray that someone here tonight who has never been saved would come to Christ. And may God's people really want revival. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, a great artist painted a picture of Christ. And when he unveiled the picture, to everyone's dismay, it was Christ knocking at a door. But there was no doorknob on the door. And some people came to the artist and said, that's strange that you made that mistake and left the doorknob off. Every door has a doorknob. And the artist said, that was not a mistake. That's the door of your heart. And the only door is on the inside. The only doorknob is on the inside. Now we have a strange picture in Revelation, the third chapter, in verse 20. This is the climax of those two chapters. Two chapters that deal with the seven churches. Verse 20 says, it's a picture of Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. Now we often use that as an invitation. We use that in talking to lost people and we say Christ knocks at your heart's door. And I know that's true because I experienced him knocking at my heart's door. Most of you in this room who have been saved will remember the time when Christ knocked at your heart's door. But in context, this is not speaking of a lost person. It is the picture of Jesus standing at the door of the church. And he says, Behold, I stand at the door. If any man will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. It is the picture of Jesus trying to get into his church. Now the seven churches of Revelation have three very important truths about them we need to remember. Number one, they were actual historical churches in the day in which this letter was written, this book of Revelation was written. The church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, 
church at Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. All those were real churches. There were many, many other churches, but these were singled out by the Lord as sample churches. And the Lord dealt with the specific problems that all the churches had, but these were glaring problems that these particular seven churches had. Number two, these seven churches of Revelation represent the age of the church, the seven ages of the church. The first age was the church of Ephesus, a church that had left its first love. The last church is the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church. Jesus said, because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now those seven churches represent the seven ages of the church. And if you'll study church history, you'll discover that there are specific historical periods in which the Christian movement found itself identified with each of these. The first age, the church at Ephesus, a church that began to leave its first love. The second age, the church at Smyrna, a church that was under severe persecution. And Jesus said to that church, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. Fear none of these that try to harm you. The devil will cast some of you into prison. That certainly did happen. That was the age of persecution, severe persecution to the church. There was a church at Thyatira, Pergamos, churches that had false doctrine, churches that had impurity and morality. And there was the church at Sardis, the church that had a name that it was alive and it was dead. There was an age of the church when it seemed like the church had grown to great ascendancy and was making an impact on the world, the Holy See, so to speak. That church would put kings up and, and if the leader of the church didn't like the king that was serving there, he'd put that king down and put another king up. And yet the church, a name that it was alive, but it was really dead. And then the church at Philadelphia. This is the church of the modern mission movement. Behold, I've set before you an open door. No man can shut it. The church of Philadelphia was a wide awake church. It was a church that reached out to the multitudes. It was a church that God was using and blessing. And there was a period in our Christian movement following the Reformation when there was a great missionary movement. Some believe we are still in that period. Others believe we are right at the close of that period and at the opening of the period. Of course, these periods overlap. And we're in the period now that is lukewarm, but there's still a great missionary movement. And yet many groups and many churches are having to call missionaries home because of no funds, because of lack of interest, because no mission volunteers are ready to go. And the last age of the church is pictured or symbolized by the Laodicean church, a church that was neither hot nor cold, straddled the fence, it's gonna get along with everybody, a church that was lukewarm. And many identify that period as the period in which we live, the period just prior to the coming of the Lord. Because in the very next chapter, chapter four, John hears a voice in heaven come up hither, and many identify that as the rapture of the church, when the believers, those who are God's children, who have been born again, who have been to the cross, have been washed in the blood of Christ, 
are caught up together to be with the Lord and never separated from him again. Now there's a, there's a third meaning. There's a third identifying mark we need to remember about these churches. That is that in every age, there were churches like each one of these. For example, in the first age, the church that was largely, the age that was largely identified by the Ephesian church, the church that had left its first love, there were at that time churches under persecution. There were churches that had false doctrine. There were churches that had a name, they were alive and they were dead. There were churches with wide open doors like the Antioch church, modern missionary movement then, well that was the great missionary church of the New Testament. And there were some churches that were lukewarm and some of the epistles written were written to those churches. Now just as that was true in the first age, it's been true in every age and it's true today. Today, 1989, there are churches that answer to all of those identifying marks in this very night in which we meet in this auditorium. There are churches that have left their first love like the Ephesian church. There are churches under severe persecution like the Smyrna church where people are having to lay down their lives for their faith. Albania, formerly in Romania. And even though we seem to be making progress in Russia, there are Christians tonight who are suffering in Siberia and in prisons because of their faith. And in America, the great United States of America, there have been some Christians who have been put in jail because they didn't want to work on Sunday. Or they didn't want to get a license from the government to operate their work, their extension of their Sunday school and their church. Men like Lester Roloff and some others. In our very age, there are churches that have great wide open doors and no man can shut it. I think of the great First Baptist Church in Dallas. Seven, eight thousand people coming daily weekly to the services and large numbers getting saved. I think of First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Homer Lindsay and Jerry Vines doing a, a tremendous work, church wide open, the Trinity Baptist Church in Jacksonville, a wide open door, hundreds of people getting saved and thousands coming to worship the Lord. I think of First Baptist Church in Hammond where 25,000 people meet every Sunday to study the Word of God and so many people and the facilities are so few that they have to meet all day long. They start early, have an A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K Sunday school. And they meet in the morning, in the midday, in the mid-afternoon, in the evening and so on. And they have committed men and women who go out on the buses all over Chicago land and bring people to Jesus Christ. There are churches like that. In our day, in 1989, and we have to decide what we want to be. In this present age, we have to decide what we want to be. In 1989, in August of 1989, as this church begins its 35th year of ministry to the city and to the regions beyond, you and I have to decide what kind of church we want to be. I think of some men who are now serving the Lord in strategic places of great responsibility who once sat where we sit. 
And one of the things that characterized those men, now listen, they didn't, they didn't all of a sudden become missionaries when they went overseas. I want to name a few of them. Tack and Lana Oi, for example, were in every service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I don't recall ever having to call Tack and beg him to come to church. I don't remember ever saying, Tack, will you please be sure to come to visitation this week? He was there. Sometimes I'd have to meet with him and say, now look, Tack, I know you're an A student and he graduated with A, with honors. I had to say, Tack, now, I know you, 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 you don't ever sleep. I'd go up to his room sometimes at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and he'd be on his knees asleep because he, of just sheer exhaustion. I'd have to caution him to get some more sleep. One day I even told him that he ought to skip something at church in order to get some sleep. And you know that I felt like washing my mouth out with soap when I said that. And he looked at me and he said, I can't believe you'd say a thing like that. I think of Larry Doyle as a college student walking down the aisle and saying, I, I'm saved, and I know I was saved sometime in the last year or so, but I don't know exactly when it was, but I want to pinpoint this particular day, and I want you to baptize me so that I'll be able to pin back, pinpoint my conversion and my experience with the Lord at a definite date. Larry Doyle was in everything that was going on here He's president of the seminary in Quito, Ecuador today. I think of Bonnie Brown, faithful, sat at that piano. Matter of fact, we got the piano while Bonnie was here because she didn't like the other piano. She was a tremendous pianist and she urged us and gave us the impetus and the faith to invest in that piano while Retha urged us to get the organ. <laughs> and we went into debt and got the piano and the organ. They're both paid for now. And Bonnie Brown was here, always faithful. She didn't become a missionary when she went to Nigeria. She was a missionary in Bowling Green. I think of Bill Ricketts. His son got married yesterday, Richard. Some of our folks are down there for the wedding, I think. I think of young Bill, I call him young Bill because to, to separate him from his daddy who was Bill Ricketts also, but young Bill, when he was a student here, didn't care much about anything. And Dwight Treadway, another one of our young men who could hardly see, had just one eye. He said, I'm going to give that eye to Jesus. He walked down an aisle one day. He'd been in Mississippi having eye surgery, and we'd prayed that God would not let that eye be taken away. He came back, and he walked down the aisle, and he said, I want to give the vision I have to Jesus. And Dwight was out there playing ball over on the other side of town at Lampkin Park, and he young, met this young guy who just moved to town, and he said, I want you to come and visit us at church. And Bill came, and he caught fire for God. He began to go and glow and go for Christ. He had a job in a restaurant. And that restaurant started selling beer. Matter of fact, they started handling beer before they sold it. I didn't know it. We would go out there on Sunday nights after teen time, whole gang of us. And we'd stay there till closing time. And then we'd meet out in the snow in the winter time. Some of you may remember that. And we'd sing songs and just have a great time in the Lord. Tremendous young gang of young people. And Bill came privately to me and he said, uh, did you know that they're serving 
liquor in the back rooms here. They're letting people bring it in. I went to talk to the man about it. It wasn't long until they started selling it. You know what Bill Ricketts did? Before they started selling it, when they just allowed it to come in, you know what Bill Ricketts did? He went to the manager and said, Sir, I'll have to look for another job. I can't work in a place like this. And I say, praise God. That's a far cry from some weak-kneed people that go to places that sell liquor just because there's some kind of a reunion going on. Those men did not become something for God after they got out there in the place. They said, Lord, right here in this city, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to be something for God. And God used them. I think of, I think of some men, young men and young women who have served Jesus through this church in years gone by. They'd walk down the aisle, and they'd say, I don't have a lot of talents, but I want to use what I have for Jesus. And they surrendered to the bus ministry. Got right involved in the bus ministry. They rolled up their sleeves and went out and found boys and girls and moms and dads that needed Jesus. You can go across this city today in certain sections and and you knock on some door and they say, oh yeah, you're from Glendale. I knew Bill, I knew Bill Vaught when he was there. He used to come and try to get me to go to Sunday school. Or I knew Mark Brooks when he was here. He used to try to get me to go to Sunday school. You see, those men didn't become something later. They became something by yielding all there was to the Lord. And that's the way it is with the church of Jesus Christ. The only way this church can be what God wants it to be is for you and me to decide what we want it to be. The church at Ephesus that left its first love. The church at Smyrna that was willing to say, Lord, Lord, if I'm under testing, if I'm under persecution, if everybody doesn't call me a jolly good fellow, if everybody doesn't think I'm really something, I want to be somebody for you. Or do we want to be like the church at Thyatira or Pergamos that was filled with false doctrine, confused thinking, and confused living? Ladies and gentlemen, if we're saved, if we're God's children, how in a whole wide world can we live wicked lives, putrefying lives, lives that God looks down in disdain and not repent of? I don't know how we can do it. We've got to decide what we want. And the church is you, Jonathan. It's you. The church is you, Mike. Church is you, Miss Claycomb. The church is you. We're the church. And we got to decide what we want. Shame on us. We have some youth meetings and some guys try to take advantage of somebody that hasn't been in the work a long time and they talk and talk and talk and say ugly, mean, honorary things. And you're a Christian. The shoe fits where it. That's wicked.
that's sinful. And a Christian, a real believer, will have a repentant heart and say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. And I want to make it right. And we'll have the courage and the fortitude to go to the people that we've, we've wronged and make it right. We have to decide whether we want a name that's big and, and a name that everybody thinks, boy, that's really something. And inside be dead, like Sardis. Now, now we, we have to decide that. It's not, a matter, not going to be something that we vote on. It doesn't matter we call a business session and say, well, let's decide we're going to vote on whether we're going to be a dead church or a live church. It isn't anything like that. It's what we decide right here tonight. What every man, woman, boy, and girl decides in his heart, Lord, do I want to be dead even though I have a name that I'm alive, or do I want to be viral? Do I want to be filled with faith? Do I want to be filled with commitment? Do I want to be somebody God can use? Or do we want to be lukewarm, like Laodicea? Just lukewarm. I don't want to get very excited about this thing. Now, I'll tell you, don't get very excited. I, I think of a precious, precious girl in our church years ago that played the piano like Paderewski. Wonderful, wonderful pianist. And we'd have a lot of youth activities like we have now. Maybe we had more then. I don't know. But almost every time, We'd try to encourage this girl to come. She'd say, well, my parents think I go out too much at night. Uh, they think that I, I should stay home. It was always a battle with mom and dad. And guess who won? Mom and dad. And today that girl's not serving the Lord. She has gold, gold talent, but not serving the Lord. Moms and dads, don't ever stop your kids from serving God. Thank God that they want to. We've got moms and dads in this very room tonight who would give their very lives if their children would want to serve the Lord. Don't ever stand in the way. Don't stop that. We've got to decide whether we want to be lukewarm or we will be hot or cold. Now, Jesus said he had some advice for us. He said it's better to be hot or cold rather than lukewarm. I, uh, I, I'm not drinking coffee now. I used to. Every time I'd drink coffee, I'd put about five spoons of sugar in it. And then I'd put cream in it. And I'd try to drown the taste of it because I thought it tasted bitter. But, you know, I, I drank it. And then about eight or ten years ago, I decided I wouldn't drink it anymore. I'm not drinking. I'm not telling you not to drink it. I just don't drink it. But when I drank coffee, I liked it either hot or cold. Couldn't stand it lukewarm. It tasted terrible inside my mouth when it was lukewarm. I used to drink iced tea or tea, just hot tea or iced tea. I, I, I can't stand lukewarm tea. How many of you love to get... A, a glass of tea where the ice is all melted. It's been sitting there in that restaurant shelf about two or three hours, and you come along and you pick up that glass of supposedly iced tea, and it's lukewarm. You like it. I don't see anybody liking it. No, you want it either cold or you want it piping hot. That's what God wants. Now listen to this. 
God wants you on fire for Him, loving Him, serving Him, cutting up front for Him and doing what God wants. Or you say, you just will be ice cold. Not to say, I don't want you lukewarm. Now, we have to decide which we want as a church, as individuals. What do we want? And we may say, but Lord, I want that, but I'm weak. I am weak, but thou art strong. That's a theme song that ought to be somebody's theme song in this room tonight. You have a desire to go on with God, to serve the Lord, to love Him and serve Him. God has His hand on you, and yet you're weak as a little jellyfish. You get around people that cuss, and you sort of laugh at it. You get around people that tell dirty jokes, and you laugh at it. You get around people that are drinking, and you do that. You get around people that don't have any kind of spiritual standards at all, you just sort of bend with the wind. Now I want to tell you, if you learn that song and ask God to put Philippians 4.13 into your mind and heart, He'll do it and He'll give you some backbone. That's what some, some of God's people need. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying you, you need the backbone that God can give unless you want to be lukewarm. Which shall it be? We're standing at a crossroads. Everyone here, in a sense, is at a crossroads. You, you've come tonight, and, and you're going to face the question, do I want business as usual, or do I want God to use me? I despise the status quo. I just don't like it. Status quo. I don't even like the term. It sounds ugly. Status quo. That means business as usual. Ho-hum. You get up on Monday morning, put your sock on your right foot or your left, whichever you do, and then you dress and you eat some Wheaties if you eat them, or you drink some kind of diet something so you won't get fat, and then you go punch in at the clock, and you work, and then you come home, and you growl if the supper is not on the table at the right time. And if the supper is on the table at the right time, you growl because they had potatoes that were mashed instead of potatoes that were fried. And they have beautiful pumpkin pie, but you really like apple pie, so you grumble some more. Or you get excited about life. And uh, you hear the preacher say, we're going to have a special meeting next Saturday night. Man, I can hardly wait to get there. I'm going to go. I'm going to make my plans to go. And I'm not, if Aunt Phoebe comes in or Uncle Hoopsie, I'm going to invite them to come or let them sit at home and I'm going to be there. See, get excited about the things of God. No business as usual anymore. Say, I'm in this thing for real. And I want Christ to use me. Do you really want the Lord to use you? Do you? Or are you satisfied? Just sit down there. Twiddly dee, twiddly dee. So many pretty girls, I can't count them. Is that what your theme is? You just sort of lope around with whatever's going on. Is that it? Or are you going to be somebody that makes things happen? Somebody said there are three groups of people in this world. Those 
who watch what happens, those who wonder what's happening, and those who make things happen. Which do you want to be? Now Jesus said, I'm standing at the door of the church. I'm knocking at the door. And I want to come in. And I want to tell you, when Christ comes, all the difference in the world happens. We can go through the motions of church, churchianity. We can go through the motions of a commitment. We can walk down an aisle and make some little statement. But unless it changes us, unless we're changed from the inside out, not the outside in, the inside out, unless it changes us, it didn't take. It's like a vaccination that doesn't take. Lots of people have walked down aisles, made confessions of faith, made rededications, have said all manner of things, but it didn't take inside. Why? Because you didn't let it take. You didn't count the cost. Jesus said if you're going to build a building, you better count the cost. If you get it halfway built and you haven't decided how much it costs and you can't go any further, people will laugh at you. Now before you come running to Jesus, count the cost. Jim Elliott wrote his mother shortly before the Orcas Indians killed him. He said, Mother, I don't mean to sound pedantic as if I knew it all, but, but Mother, when we have enrolled with the cross of Christ, we've enrolled in the kingdom of one who talked about dying. And I want to die to myself. Lord, take the sticks of my life and let them burn for you. And then he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. When you give your all on the altar and you say, Lord, use me, use me, use me, God will take you seriously. And before you know it, you may feel the stirring of God in your heart to say, I have a special plan for you. I have a special purpose for you. And then you have to weigh the question, am I willing to say, I take hands off my life. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Doesn't make any difference what it is. I'll do it if you'll help me. Jesus goes with me. I can go anywhere. I talked to a dear lady who is dying the other day. Mother of one of our people. And uh, there was a recommitment of her life to Jesus. And in that recommitment, I knew she wanted to live, but she has a terminal malignancy. And unless God should interrupt with some tremendous, unusual miracle, she'll die in just a few days. And while we prayed, I thought, the Lord must have brought this to my mind, I thought, if Jesus goes with me, I can go anywhere. And I, I said those words, and when we finished praying, she looked at me and she said, that's what I want. I said, what do you mean? She said, if Jesus goes with me, I'll go. I'm ready to go, ready to stay. Now, we don't need to wait till we're ready to die to say that. Everyone in this room tonight needs to say that. Ready to go. I'm ready to stay. I'm ready to do what God wants. Here's my life, Lord, I give it to you. Now, Jesus, 
is represented here as doing a very strange thing and it bothers me every time I read it and I just pray oh God I pray that won't be true at Glendale and yet I have a sneaking suspicion that it probably happens from time to time Jesus is standing outside the door of the church if any man will open the door I'll come in to him I'll make Glendale a great church. I'll refashion this church so that it'll be what God wants it to be. I'll make your church where you go a great church for the glory of Christ. But the only way I can do it is for this individual and this individual and this individual who aren't even watching me tonight. Thank you. The only way I can do it is for you to say, here's, hear me, here's, hear my Lord, use me. You see, it is not just old people, nor is it just teenagers. God wants to begin with little children. Do you know how old Samuel was when he came to Jesus? And he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He was about seven. He heard somebody saying, Samuel, Samuel. He'd never heard that before. He thought it was Eli calling him. He said, came in and said, yes, sir, Eli, what do you want? Eli said, well, hmm, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Eli went back to, Samuel went back to bed and he heard that same thing again. Samuel, Samuel. And he went back, he went back to Eli and he said, Eli, here am I, what do you want? Eli said, young boy, I didn't call you. But, but Eli had perception. He said, son, if that happens again, you just get up by your bedside and say, speak, Lord, for thy servant. He went back to bed. Seven-year-old Samuel. 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 He got down by his bedside. I think I can just visualize this. And he said, Lord, I don't know what this is, but Eli told me to just say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And God began to speak to him. Samuel didn't know what it was until Eli told him. Some of you may not understand until you hear from the Word of God. Just come to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want? What are you saying to me? Why am I at this church tonight? Why am I hearing this message? What do you want to say to me? And if you'll say that to the Lord, He'll speak to you. I guarantee you. You, you can't miss it. He'll talk to your heart. But, but you have to be open to hear it. Now, with that in mind, what will we say to Him? What shall we say to him? Speak, Lord, for thy servant is listening. The first thing he says is, I died for you on a cross. I shed my blood to cover your sins. Will you put your trust in me? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Well, Lord, I've already come to you. I've trusted you as my Savior, all right? I want to know what place do I have in your life in my first? First? Yeah, my first. Now, the representation of being first means that he has to occupy the throne room of our life and our heart. And it will show up by how much we love him, how much we read his word, how much we care about church, how much we care about people,
how much we care about souls. And then, as we pass that test and we say, Lord, I do love you. I love your church. I love your word. I love people. I want to help them. I want to minister to them. I want to do whatever you want me to do. Then the Lord may give you a special assignment. He may say, I want you, I want you to be a public school teacher that'll take a stand for Jesus. Or I want you to be a church secretary. Or I want you to drive a bus. I want you to be a bus captain. I want you to serve as a deacon. I want you to sing in the choir. I want you to learn to play the piano so you can be a church pianist. So you can serve the Lord. Whatever God wants you to do, He'll show you, but He can't show you until He has your attention. Speak, Lord, for thy servant is listening. And when you have in the aggregate some people here and some people here and some people here who say, Lord, I want to be used by God. And pretty soon that number gets in the ascendancy. And there's a whole gang of people that feel that way. God's going to say, I can trust that church now because it's got a bunch of people in it that feel that way. And pretty soon that church begins to take off and go for God. And the Lord says, I set before you an open door and no man can shut it. Is that what you want? Or do you just want a name that you're alive when you're really dead? Or do you want to limp along and be like Laodicea, lukewarm? What do you want? We have to decide. And I want to ask you to tell Jesus tonight what you want. There's some of you who have never been saved. You're here tonight and you're lost. If you died tonight, you'd go to hell. Separated from God forever. But that can be changed tonight if, as the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart, you'd be willing to say, Lord, I want to give my heart to you. I love you. And I don't want to be lost any longer. I want to be saved tonight. I want, I'm willing to repent of my sins and turn to Christ. There, there's some here tonight to whom the Holy Spirit has spoken about some areas of our lives, and he says, you need to repent. Repentance is not a doctrine just for lost people. It's a doctrine for saved people. And so somebody will say, Lord, I heard your voice to me, and I want to do that. I want to repent. I want to be what God wants. Behold, I stand at your heart's door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I'll come in and sup with you, and you with me, and we'll have the time of our lives. We'll have a good time. Joy bells all ringing. I'm going to enjoy going to church. I'll be able to say what Bob Stevenson said in a deacon's meeting today. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Because you see, when you love God with all your heart and your mind and soul, He makes life palatable. Some of you just, you know, you're just in misery. You not enjoy living. Life's just a, a flunk out to you. You ask how you feel? I won't say it because you know some people always say the same thing. 
But you, you, you know, God wants you to have joy in your life. He wants you to have assurance in your heart. He wants you to know that there's something worth living for, that life is not just a drag. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, life is not just a drag anymore. It's exciting. It's fantastic. It's power-packed. And we enjoy it. And I believe that's what many of you want. You want to enjoy your spiritual life. You want to possess your possessions. You want to enjoy living for Jesus. Well, the answer is within you. The answer is not the church. Who's the church? You. The answer is not the time of the services. The answer is within our heart. Would you tonight just say, Lord, I want to give my life all the way on the altar for service to Christ. And I don't want to be lukewarm anymore. I want you to use me. And I'm willing to pay the price for revival. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads, please, for just a moment. This morning we did this, and I'd like to ask us to do it again tonight. I'd like to ask every man who is able to kneel right where you are. And ladies, will you humble your heart before God? And in this time of humility, would you just talk to God from your heart? Do business with the Lord. Let Jesus speak to you, and you speak to him. And whatever you need to say to him, say it. Be as open and honest as you can. Our Father, we humble ourselves again before you tonight. And we hear your word. Behold, I stand at the door and knock.